thank you, Tori and crew. Um, we're blessed here at Providence. Uh, every week we have somebody chords, uh, the keys, somebody on percussion, vocals, and it's almost somebody new every week. It's like they have like, I don't know how many weeks of rotation they have, but I have a quick question. Percussion, what is this box called? Box drum, okay. So if you don't learn anything new today, a uh, new musical instrument, I learned box drum. And so we have two or three people that can play that. It's like talent. So uh, can we give them a round of applause? We're just really, really blessed here. And uh, I, understand, I found out this week, they get here like at 8.30 um, to practice and warm up just for you guys. So glad you're here. Um, uh, skeleton crew. Uh, I am not Pastor Tony. Uh, he doesn't untuck, he doesn't tuck his shirts in. I do. Uh, I, I am not uh, Pastor Chris, who spoke last week. Uh, he's a little bit taller than me and a little bit skinnier. Uh, but now that he's in the military thing again, uh, I think I have more hair than him. So got him on that. Uh, Anyway, we are very blessed here with uh, people who can teach and preach the Word, and it's an honor for me today to be able to stand before you. Um, it's been a while, and so I'm a little nervous, so just bear with me, and uh, um, I promise to get you out of here before 1 o'clock. Uh, that was a joke. Okay. I like to joke. I hope you do, too. So take care. My words sometimes with a grain of salt. Um, Luke is where we're at this morning. And uh, as you see, John Mixon fittingly opened us up uh, this morning. He's, uh, I guess, one of the few left. He's like a, his resume is like a professional farmer. And so we have a little bit of an agrarian theme running throughout. And uh, so, you know, the... Israelites, they were shepherds and, and goat herders and, and uh, farmers as well. So it's appropriate as we look at the New Testament this morning. But uh, I am Jimmy Dodson. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my wife uh, is Susan. We usually sit over here. Um, we've been attending Providence for about three years, joined last year. And boy, how time flies. Uh, yeah, we were here pre-pandemic. That's like the new B.C., A.D., uh, you know, before COVID. I don't know. After, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Anyway, uh, well, we have some crazy in the Bible this morning, too. We're going to be looking at, um, we're gonna be looking at uh, um, Luke in the New Testament. So about two-thirds of the way in your Bible, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. So we're going to be looking at the third of the Synoptic Gospels, Luke. And uh, Dr. Luke, the physician follower, he was also a companion of uh, Paul. I found that out recently. He traveled around with Apostle Paul a lot, too. Uh, so we're going to use three goats today as points of interest this morning. And the first goat, G.O.A.T. Uh, uh, let me ask you a few questions, a little twist here. Um, we're in the middle of the NBA Finals. Did they play last night again? They play tonight? Okay. 
So the Celtics won the first game. They've only had one game so far. Celtics stole a game uh, from the uh, uh, from the team that I didn't think would lose. Um, anyway, uh, who in the NBA Finals? Who do you think's the greatest of all time? G O A T. Who's the goat? Greatest of all time? LeBron. We have L B J over here. Okay. Still playing. What about MJ1 or MJ2? Some of you might have to, MJ1, Michael. I mean, Magic Johnson, I call MJ1. What about MJ2? Michael Jordan, a lot of people think yes. The LBJ, uh, Kobe, you know, with the late Kobe Bryant. So that's the debate still, who's the greatest of all time. What about NFL? You see on the screen a picture of Tom Brady? Probably a lot of you do. He's definitely talked about as the greatest of all time. Swimmer. Phelps. All right. Most decorated Michael Phelps. Female sprinter. Let's get some track and field in here. Who has the world record for the 100, ladies 100, Flojo, right? Even the, even the girls from Jamaica don't have her yet. Uh, they're still trying to get her, I believe. Uh, Flo Joe, USA Sprinter, decade or two ago. Mail Track Sprinter, yeah. How's he do that? Yeah, yeah. Usain Bolt. Uh, and uh, how about Major League Baseball? No, no, don't go there. We'll have a wait. The Carroll kids are not here. We'd have a fight between the Carroll kids and the Rosser kids, and that would not be nice to Pastor Tony. He'd come back first thing on his agenda is a family intervention between the Rossers and the Carrolls. They're fighting over who's the greatest Major League Baseball player. Okay, so we'll get back to the GOAT analogy in a minute. A little fun there, but hopefully it'll get your mind thinking. Uh, let's do turn our hearts and minds to Luke 5 now. And bear with me, I'm going somewhere with it. All right, Luke 5, we're going to start about halfway through, we're going to really look at the whole chapter today uh, briefly, but I want to focus on the healing of the paralytic in verse 17. And uh, I'll read this aloud, and then we'll have a quick prayer. Uh, out of the ESV, Luke 5, 17 says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Jesus, uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was on him, with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way in to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, 
And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Okay. Let's pray real quick. Lord, as I open your word and uh, we get around, and we can be lighthearted because I think you have a sense of humor too. You're very serious about your word. And I thank you for your word and the story of the healing of the paralytic. I pray that uh, we would take this little story and look at the surroundings, what's going on before it, behind it, and see what you have for us to see today. And so that we, we go out here knowing a little bit more about who you are and why we should put our faith as your disciples, why we should put our faith in you. In Jesus' precious name, Lord, I pray that you'd help me now, and I pray that you would help these, our listeners, Lord, open our hearts for what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, okay. Let's break this story down just a bit. This is really a subset of a story in the middle of a story. Uh, it's kind of uh, like one of those Russian types of stacking dolls. You take one off, and then you can take another one off, and you can take another one off, and another one off. And they're little, like, stair steps, and you get down to the little bitty stacking doll that's in the middle. Or it could be like, for you folks who like to cook, peeling an onion, you know. I don't like that analogy because you usually end up crying at the end of peeling an onion. But uh, you peel the layer back, and then there's another layer, and then there's another layer. And so many times is the Word of God. Um, when we see Luke chapter 5, for instance, at the beginning, what is Jesus doing at the beginning of chapter 5? Well, at the beginning, and if you have those little titles at the beginning of your, your uh, subheadings and such, you see, Jesus is really beginning his ministry here, and he's calling the first of the disciples. He goes to Peter and uh, Andrew and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, excuse me, the sons of Zebedee. Um, Peter's noted statement there in, in chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Uh, that was one of Peter's first confessions and a very good one uh, when we come in, in contact with Jesus. Um, so that one there, Peter 5.11, says that you know statement that we'll remember and come back to. And then, just before this scene we're discussing today, so after, after the initial opening scene of the chapter, just before this, uh, he heals a leper. Verse 12, Jesus cleanses a leper. So uh, what is going on here? And then we get down to verse 17, he heals the paralytic. Um, so he touches the leper just before this scene, and he makes someone who was unclean to be clean. Uh, you weren't supposed to touch a leper in that day, by the way, because it would make you unclean. But Jesus had no problem reaching out and touching someone clean because of who he is, and we'll find out about that in a second. Um, okay, so as a whole, as we look at this whole chapter, it's really very interesting you have the disciples being called to follow Jesus, first of all. And then there are two quick healing scenes in the middle. And then 
Another uh, calling of a disciple seen right after the healing of the paralytic, Jesus calls Levi, starting there in verse 27. And then at the very end of the chapter, you have some strange questioning about fasting. And Jesus says, you know, well, of course, my disciples don't fast because the bridegroom, he calls himself the bridegroom. Uh, what does that mean? Seems like an obscure way to answer and to end this question. So let's focus on the text at hand. Uh, first scene, scene one in, in uh, Luke five seventeen. Scene one in Luke five seventeen. What's Jesus doing? It's not on the Sabbath. It just says it's one of those days, normal day. He's sitting there teaching, uh, but to quite the extraordinary crowd. There are people who have come from three to five days walk away. It says the Pharisees came from as far as Jerusalem. They were in the area of Galilee, uh, Palestine, so Judea, Galilee, and Jerusalem. The Pharisees were there. Then, if we look at the next scene after verse 17, verses 18 and 19, uh, you see we get a little crazy. I call this the crazy. Uh, Behold, some men were bringing on the bed a man who was paralyzed and seeking, seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but they found no way. So, if you will, just, just go with me in your imagination. Let's do a little hypothetical here. There's four friends, and they go to extremes to try to help their paralyzed buddy. They want him healed. That's only natural. They want him healed. Well, let's go a little hypothetical here. Can you picture this? So David Crowe's had an accident at work, all right, and he's paralyzed, and I debated back and forth, is he paralyzed from the waist down, or is he paralyzed from the neck down? I tend to think this guy was paralyzed from the neck down, because it took four people to carry him. Um, he couldn't really help them much at all. So uh, Dave's friends, Tracy, Tracy Mullins, you know, he's a physical therapist. Dave's going to need some physical therapy after being paralyzed for so long. So Tracy's helping out. Justin Carroll, because he's a builder, and uh, he knows how to tear the roof apart. And then David Rosser's involved because he has a minivan, and uh, he's an architect. And when they tear and demolish that roof, he's going to put it back and make it more aesthetically pleasing, you know, like add a gable or something up there. All right. And then, of course, Jonathan Mixon is going to be brought into the mix so that they can environmentally, conscientiously dispose of the roofing materials and he says, throw them over there in the sinkhole, boys, uh, and we'll put some field dirt on them and some grass seed, Kentucky 31, and we'll turn the goats loose on them in a few days. It'll be taken care of. Uh, all the main level entryways were blocked was the situation. The doors were full of people, packed. They were sitting on the window sills. Everyone was listening so intently to Jesus that no one even noticed the minivan pull up. And they're getting this guy out of the back. And so the friends assess the situation. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Dave's on the cop paralyzed. You know, he can't do anything about it. Uh, the friends assess the situation, and Tracy and Justin blurted out at the same time. You know, I figure if something crazy is going on, they're both going to be right in the mix of it. Uh, Tracy says, don't they teach these guys anything? Well, there's always... In the, in the olden days, in the Bible days, in the ancient times, there was always a, a stairway that would go up to the rooftops, uh, you know, for 
for uh, necessary purposes there. So Tracy's like, go use the, you know, go use the stairway. We'll take him up that way. And so they go up onto the rooftop, begin to tear it open. Debris falling, I'm like, I'm trying to imagine what would be happening. Jesus sitting here teaching. I mean, is stuff falling in his hair? You know, things are happening. Stuff is hitting the ground. Roofing tiles are being, and it's debated, was it mud, hardened mud and sticks and grass that was put together, which, is, which was kind of prominent back in those times, or was it hardened tile? The Bible uses tile in some of the more wealthy architects, archaeologists have shown us, some of the more wealthy homes did have some tile-like roofing systems. So anyway, these tiles are being pulled apart. You know things are falling down. Uh, so there goes the roof. And uh, they're letting, you know, do they have to tear like a four-by-eight-foot section out? Like how big of a, you know, hole do you have to do? So they let him down, and I just can see Jesus kind of, you know, kind of backing up and laughing and taking it all in. Um, but what happens? Jesus sees their faith, and we don't, the they can relate to either the four friends or the they can relate to um, the paralytic and the four friends. I think it's the paralytic and the four friends. Um, what happens? Jesus sees their faith, and he says, man, you are healed. Um, but was that what they were expecting? Hold on. Let me check my notes. Is that what Jesus says? No, he doesn't say, man, you're healed. First of all, he says, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. So they were not expecting him to say, man, your sins are forgiving. They were expecting him to say, man, you are healed. Why does Jesus not do that? Why does Jesus not do what they wanted him to do? I mean, they went to all this trouble. I mean, here's Dave. He's paralyzed. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. You think there were some uh, unmet expectations there? <laughs> I'd say a few. Uh, what do you think their reaction was? The friends... What about the crowd? What about the guy who's paralyzed? What are some of those scenarios going on in your mind, in your imagination? Well, we're not really sure, but you can ask yourself, if you were in Dave, Dave's shoes, if you were in the paralytic sandals, how would you have reacted? What about... What about his friends? What about the crowd? How did Jesus react? Well, he handled their, their crazy. He handled their situation. He saw beyond their crazy. He saw beyond all the falling debris. He saw beyond the tore up house. And what does he do? He says, man, your sins are forgiven. But again, they came to get him healed. So why did Jesus do that? So we perhaps have quite a few, at least for a moment, quite a few 
disappointed folks. So, picking up next scene, scene three, in Luke 21 and 24 through 24, uh, you see the Pharisees. They begin to bring accusation, and there's a confrontation, and there, then there's a command. Uh, from reading the parallel passages in Matthew 9 and in Mark 2, uh, they, you can see from those passages, these folks are beginning to question within themselves. So after saying, man, your sins are forgiving, forgiven, Jesus, um, Jesus, I think, maybe wanted to pick a fight with Pharisees. No, he probably doesn't do that. But right away, the room was abuzz. But Jesus, being omniscient, again, showing that he is God, he perceived their thoughts, as noted in Matthew 9, and they questioned in their hearts what he did. He didn't let it go, though. He confronted them. And he said, why do you question in your hearts? Why do you question in your hearts? Ain't that just like God? He can see straight through us kind of a scary thought (laughs) he can see straight into our hearts and at the beginning of verse 23 jesus posed another interesting question which is easier to say so let me stop and ask you folks which is easier to say man your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk which one would have been easier Certainly, he would have been met with more um, applause, more acceptance, more expectations and boxes checked if he would have healed him. After all, they went to all that effort. After all, the need must have been obvious. The guy could not walk. Hmm. Let's think for a moment about that. Let's recap. This narrative. So in verses 17 through 22, there's tension rising. There's a paralytic. Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees and the scribes are listening or casing the joint to see if they can catch Jesus in a mistake. Then enters the paralytic and his friends and the roof and the crazy happens. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, there's accusation from the Pharisees, and Jesus confronts them. Next, the climax. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. It says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Verse 24, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise Pick up your bed and go home. Whew. So which is easier? The correct answer, Jesus says, is both. Because both are important. We'll come back to both in a minute. Both are important. I say to you, rise up and walk. Dun, dun, dun. What will happen? Will Dave get up? Yes, he will. He gets up. Verse 25, here's the resolution. It's very quick. I don't know how much time passed, but I bet there were some tense moments 
<laughs> between when they went through the roof and Jesus said, quote, unquote, the wrong thing. And then he got up, he took his bed and left, glorifying God. And so did, in verse 26, the rest of the crowd. Now let's go a little deeper here today. And how does that work for me and you? How does that look in our lives today? First of all, let me make kind of two points of application. And that is, first of all, Jesus can handle our crazy. I mean, have you lived long enough to know that your life can be a little crazy? Some days, some weeks, some years. All right, Jesus can handle our crazy is the first thing. Has anyone in here, maybe I'm the only one, has anyone in here ever done anything crazy? How about crazy stupid or stupid crazy? You don't have to raise your hand, but uh, are you sometimes amazed that you made it to adulthood, to adulthood? I think of all the stupid, crazy things I did and lived to tell about them. And then I think in a spiritual note, the stupid, crazy, sinful things I've done, and God should have struck me dead, but yet I live to tell about it. So, have you ever blown up or blown it spiritually? Has anyone ever said, have, have you ever said something you know you shouldn't have said and you cannot take it back? You've hit the sin on that email or that text uh, or that post, and it's gone. I'm trying to take it back. Um, have we doubted God? Have we been given so much, but yet we have found ourselves abundantly unthankful? So these friends and the paralytic do something crazy, over-the-top crazy, literally, over-the-top crazy. And how does Jesus respond? He handles it. What I'm pointing out here is that Jesus can handle our crazy, and he can handle our crazy sin, is what he's trying to say. Second point of application, faith. Jesus... In, in the arranging of God's word is helping us here. The way he's laid out chapter 5 of Luke. In the arranging of God's word is helping us to see what type of faith is required to be one of his disciples. Because that's what he's doing at the beginning. He's calling the first disciples. And then he does two sets of healings, the leper, and then he heals this paralytic. He's showing the disciples what's required to have the faith to be a disciple. What it's going to take. You have the faith of the friends and the paralytic here contrasted against the faith, in quotation marks, the faith of the Pharisees and the scribes. For the disciples, both then and now, for us today, Luke 5, 8. First of all, to be a disciple of Christ, Luke 5, 8, where Peter encounters Jesus and then uh, rightfully says, uh, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
First of all, like Peter, you and I, to be a disciple, we must realize that we are a sinful person compared to a holy God. Secondly, in verses 11 and 28, when he called those disciples there in the first part of the chapter, verse 11, it says they left everything. And then when he calls Levi right after healing the paralytic in verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and left. You must be willing to leave everything behind to be a disciple of Christ, Jesus is saying. In other words, we must see that there is no greater treasure than Jesus in all of our lives. All of what we have and see now is pretty much temporary. But those things Jesus is cultivating and doing in you are eternal. That's what he's trying to, deceive, to teach his disciples. Contrastingly, he has, it's not by mistake that he has the Pharisees inserted in the scriptures. The faith of the Pharisees, instead of realizing and repenting of their sin, what do they do? They accuse Jesus over matters of the law. It's not a very good thing when you accuse God over matters of the law. Secondly, instead of letting go of everything and realizing it's unimportant compared to what God is doing, they were unwilling to let go of their power, their position, and maybe their intellect, and maybe a few other things. They were holding with clenched fists. In fact, the faith they thought they were holding to and protecting and preserving, in fact, this faith really was not faith at all. You might call this something else. You might call this religion. Theirs was religion. Thus they did not see what Jesus was saying, nor who he was. Jesus would say later on in Luke 13, 3, later on in this book, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So to be a disciple of his, you need to repent, and you need to realize that there is no greater treasure than Jesus. So, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. He, it seems that he has missed the point. Uh, he needs healing. You know, have you ever been there? God, I just need this from you. Isn't it obvious? And Jesus gives him forgiveness. Why, why, why? Well, here's where the second goat, goat number two, comes in. Uh, goat number two G-O-G.O.A.T.N. Okay, whoever's in charge of social media at this church, don't go say, Jimmy preached today, hashtag Goatin. All right, because I'll never live that one down. Uh, Goatin, G-O-A-T-N. What am I talking about here? Greatest of all time. Put the N there. Jesus saw that man's greatest of all time need. The guy needed healing. We see that. But Jesus saw through that and saw his need. So that's where the second goat comes in. We need forgiveness, first of all, to be his disciple. We need redemption. And here's where the rubber meets the road. My friend, 
What have you been aspiring toward? If I could only get this, if I could only get this raise, if I could only get this contract, if I could get into this school, if I could get this boy to look in my way, if I could get this girl to go on a date with me, let's shift gears. Parents, what's the goatin for your kids? What's the greatest of all time need for your kids? I have six kids. I forget this. I get sidetracked. We get distracted. We get told by millions of voices, advertisers, others. You know, they need good counselors. They need good schools. You know? So, what does a good education get them? There's nothing wrong with education. But what does it get them? They need the right job. They need the right coaches. They need the right teams. They need the right friends. Again, nothing's wrong with those. But that, is that their greatest need? Is that mine and your greatest need? So as I conclude here, um, I, I just... Let's look at the very next scene. Because the very next scene helps us understand what Jesus is trying to say here in the paralytic scene. Uh, Luke 27 through 32. He calls Levi, known as Matthew also. Uh, After this, he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi. This guy was the hated of the hated, by the way. He was a Jew. He was known, he was seen as a traitor because he turned against his Jewish fellow man uh, and he collected taxes uh, on behalf of the Romans. This guy was the hated of the hated. Jesus went to him anyway. Uh, Who will you not go to? Who will I not go to? Jesus went to him. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Uh, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there were a large company of tax collectors, and others reclining at the table, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Who, what, 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 why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Mm. Do you know Jesus in a personal, in a relational way? Then you must have come to a point in your life where you realized, like Peter said a minute ago, that, that you're a sinner. And today, with a paralytic... Jesus reminded us that our greatest need is forgiveness and redemption. Not necessarily physical deliverance from your crazy. How could Jesus claim to forgive this man's sin? He was at the beginning of his ministry in this scene. We'll look to the end of his earthly ministry here in a minute when this controversy comes to a boiling point and reaches a climax when the Jews and the Gentiles hand him over to the Roman authorities. Once again, humanity's crazy will be thrown at Jesus in the form of a cruel, torturous cross thrown in the face of an innocent man. And what does he do? He handles it. Leviticus 18 talks about how he handles it. And Tony's been preaching about prophets and kings And this is where this message, surprisingly to me, went with it. 
You know, the Old and New Testament goes together. Leviticus 18, I'll read a little excerpt from there in just a moment. Leviticus 18 talks about a feature of the law pertaining to holiness. Leviticus' main theme is holiness. It's part of the Torah, the first five books of the law, of the, of the um, Old Testament. It talks about how holiness and how that our sins can be carried away. Je- Jesus willingly laid his life down on the cross so that he could be the scapegoat for our sins. All our sins were placed on him and carried far, far away. He handled them. So goat number three, as I was putting the finishing touches on this last night, I was trying to ask God, please give us clarity, God. Please help me to understand. And please help me to be able to present it in a way that your people can understand. You know, in the uh, I got a little bit of a surprise. I'm taking an Old Testament class, and when the professor said there's nearly 8,000 verses in the New Testament, and of those 8,000 verses, every one in eight verses refers or references to the Old Testament. That's pretty remarkable. How many verses is that if one in eight? How many verses is that in the New Testament? That's a thousand verses. Reference back to, make an inference to, or shadow to a verse in the Old Testament. So how does it go with Pastor Tony's long series he's been doing and finishing up on prophets and kings? When you look at the entire structure of Luke 5, it's really crystal clear, Luke chapter 5. The third goat is what I'm calling the scapegoat. And that was first brought out in Leviticus Uh, in the Old Testament when the Israelites were trying to figure out how to follow God and how to worship God properly. And they were sinners. How can we get near a holy God? So looking at the Old Testament, Leviticus 16 uh, refers, um, refers to that. Leviticus 16 talks about um, two goats. And they shall, one goat was killed and one goat was saved and sent out into the wilderness. And so goat number three uh, really is the scapegoat here. Leviticus 16, starting with verse 15. You can go back and read the whole chapter if you'd like. I'll read these verses quickly. It says, Then he shall kill the goat and the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do uh, with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. And thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people. So this first goat that was killed dealt primarily with the uncleanness of the people of Israel because of their transgressions. So for the uncleanness of the people of Israel because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of the meeting from the time he enters to make atonement, the priest, to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood uh, on his finger with it seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it 
from the uncleanness of the people for the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Now, why am I reading all that? That sounds like weird. <laughs> it's in our Bibles. It's, it sounds weird and almost harder to believe and really hard to understand. But this first goat, when dealing with their holiness and how can they get clean because of their uncleanness and their many sins, it was killed and the blood was uh, splattered on the sprinkled and splattered on the mercy seat and put on the horns of the altar, etc. But then there was a second goat. And this is where the idea or the conception of the con concept of the scapegoat comes in. Twenty, verse twenty says, and when he was made, and when he has made an end of atoning, so that first goat had to make atonement. Their sins had to be paid for. So at the end of the atoning of the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall say shall lay both of his hands. The priest shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sin. I just had to wonder how long <laughs> he had to stand there and confess all those sins of the, like the whole nation. How long did that take? Um, anyway, if we think about our sin... How long would it take us to confess all of our sins? So that he confessed all of their sins with his head on the goat. And then, picking up in the middle of 21, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. Thank you for indulging me on that because that was a long way to say. The scapegoat here in Leviticus, the first goat died to pay for uncleanness, to provide atonement for the people, atonement for the people's sin. The second goat, the live goat, that was the scapegoat, here is what is called the scapegoat. They let it live, and Aaron the priest confessed all the sins and sent it out into the wilderness, meaning or translation here, fast forward to Jesus thousands of years later in the New Testament. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must believe and have faith. What does the healing of this leper and the paralytic mean? You must believe that Jesus is the goat, the G.O.A. Dot T dot, the goat of all sacrifices. He is both goats in one ultimate sacrifice of himself on the cross. As with the leper, just before this scene of the paralytic, he will take all of our crazy, all of our uncleanness, and he will atone for it. He will pay for it. This price, a price must be paid for our sins. And Jesus is saying, I can handle it. I will pay for your sin. Second, as with the paralytic, he is saying, what you need, your goatin', your greatest of all time need, is to be forgiven. 
to be redeemed. Or to say it another way, Jesus is trying to say here to his new disciples that are watching his every move, and he's trying to say to us today through his word, which has been preserved for us, you must place all your sins on me, says Jesus, and I will take them to the cross. You must both place them on me and I will also carry your sin away. By the way, Jesus was crucified outside the city. He was carried away outside the city where he was crucified. And by dying, I will pay for your sins. And thus, Jesus is saying in Luke 5 to the paralytic, I will forgive you because I am able to forgive you. I will forgive you by paying for your sins at the end of my ministry on this earth by my own blood because I am a perfect sacrifice to the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus is saying to these folks who understood these things better than we do, he was speaking to Jews and the Gentiles. These Jews knew that Bible. They knew what he was saying. They knew he was fulfilling Leviticus. It's kind of hard, kind of murky, kind of weird for us. They knew He is saying, I am the one who fulfills all the law. And with all this scapegoating imagery, I am the one who can fulfill all the law of the Old Testament. He's also saying, I am the one who fulfills all the prophecies of the prophets. And I am the one the authors of the Old Testament were writing about in all the writings in the Old Testament. Are you a disciple of Jesus today? Has he called you to himself? Has he shown you your goten, if you will, your need for forgiveness and redemption? Has he shown you that you are like the unclean leper, that only a touch from Jesus can make you clean? And like the paralytic today, that we are powerless, we're all in our mat of sin, We can't get off, (laughs) no matter how hard you think or try. We can't get up. We're under the weight of that sin. Has he shown you that? So during our response time today, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, I would plead with you. Today he says, come. In Matthew 11, 28, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come today and put your faith in me, he says, and I'll never disappoint you. I'll never break my promises to you. There are folks perhaps here in this congregation who can pray with you today. Maybe you came with somebody. Maybe you know somebody. See Bob sitting right there, Bob Lemons. I know he would talk to you if you've never become a disciple of Jesus today. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, how does this work for you as we think about and pray about and as the praise team gets ready to come? If you're a disciple of Jesus, have you forgotten who you really serve? Happens to me. 
Perhaps you've gotten distracted. Guess what? Jesus can handle it. You need his grace today. You need his forgiveness today. You need his redemption anew. Good news. In the scriptures, all you need to do is realize that what the scriptures teach is Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's making intercession for you, my brother and sister. Making intercession for when we lose it, for when we forget, for when we get distracted, for when our lives have crazy in them. What has your faith been in lately? Your self-performance? Other things? Other people? Forsake all that and come back to Jesus. Um, could the praise team come and um, as, as they come and they're going to play a little bit and maybe you need to find somebody to pray with um, I'm going to make and then I'll read a benediction after they're done but I'm going to make a little personal appeal to you today one I need your prayers this week um, getting ready to have some hip surgery uh, on my right hip not been able to lay on my right hip in bed for over a year um, so finally they said we're going to work on you <laughs> uh, tried to put it off but you know with surgery most of them they have to put you under and uh, when you go under I always wonder I don't think I'd want to be an anesthesiologist will I wake I want you to think about that. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you can go to sleep in peace. But if you're not a disciple of Jesus, you won't have any peace until you know and make him your master. Lord, we do pray as the praise team sings, as we just take a moment and try to reassess what you're doing and all that uh, you're trying to teach us and the disciples here in your, your word. Thank you that you didn't give him what everybody thought he needed. <laughs> that you gave him his greatest need of all, which was to be redeemed. Thank you that through Jesus, you provided that all could be redeemed. Help us to think about where we're at with you today and, and to not leave here without taking that taking that very seriously. In your precious son's name, give us grace. Will you stand with us? <laughs>